You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanising work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about the things that matter in your career and life and to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today, we're in the company of Charles Ng, a co-founder of international award-winning key organiser, Orbit Key. As an industrial designer, Charles saw a way to stop his keys from rattling while he was jogging and started a Kickstarter campaign to raise $10,000 to get the product to market. The highly successful campaign raised over $200,000 and enabled Charles and co-founder Rex Quo to bring Orbit Key to life. Five years later, Orbit Key won a gold award at the prestigious IF Global Design Awards in Germany. In this episode, we talk about what it takes to run a successful crowdfunding campaign, the importance of having a solid relationship with your manufacturers, how to build an engaged and loyal audience, and why focusing on your company culture matters. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, Kylie. Really excited to talk about your business journey with Orbit Key and all that you've achieved, which has been monumental considering the amount of time that you've been around. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to tap into a little bit about your background and who young Charles was and what you did as a young person, as a small Charles, and maybe how that might have influenced what you do today. I'm originally from Indonesia. So I lived in Indonesia for the first 14 years of my life. and. Having spent 15 years in, in Australia, well, I'm probably a little bit more leaning towards Australian than Indonesian now, <laughs> although I'm still an Indonesian um, citizen, but I do have a permanent residency here in Australia and I, and I call Australia as home. So basically, the young me, um, I've always remembered that I enjoy drawing a lot when I was younger. Um, you know, like in class, I would, instead of paying attention to the teacher speaking about you know, the subjects that they were trying to explain, I would just spend my time drawing, um, you know, little characters or, or, you know, like Pokemons or something that, you know, things that you actually um, watch a lot when you were younger. Yeah, so I really, really enjoyed drawing and I had a very good visual memory. You know, um, there was times where I was, I would be sitting in the car with my mum and I would name all the name of the cars that we drove past and and I I just remember really clearly that my mum said that when I was growing up and if I was to grow up I'll probably end up being a car salesman Um, (laughs) and (laughs) that's not really um, something that I I would actually imagine doing. That was until I moved to Australia when I was 14. I had a really great opportunity to move here to further my study. So basically I started doing year 11 here and um, I was really, really excited about this course um, or this subject, I should say, visual communication and design. And that was really the very first time that I ever was exposed to to a design subject in school. And that really changed the way I, I see things and it really changed my perspective of what I would really like to do when I, when I graduate. So um, visual communication and design it's mainly graphic design, so I was also quite lucky to have a good career counsellor that really saw that what I was doing more of is 3D design and it's more towards industrial design. And basically when she told me that 
industrial design was something that you probably really love to do. And I was like going, oh, what is industrial design? You know, what does that even mean? Is it designing factory industry or um, until I read more about it? And basically that, that really changed the course of my university course, you know, like, so I actually applied for industrial design degree um, and I got into RMIT University. And since then, I've just been doing mostly design until um, four years ago, I had the opportunity to start something of my own with my business partner. And right now, I'm, I'm doing mostly um, the design direction of the company that we're running, whereas my business partner runs more of the business operations side of things. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of like how the journey of little Charles, you know, who loved to draw, led to design, industrial design, and led to, you know, running a company that's focused on design as well. Terrific. We're going to jump into understanding a little bit more about Orbit Key and how you made the jump from industrial design to Orbit Key in just a second. But before we get into that, I just wanted to invite you to share three things that you believe and why with our listeners. I believe in second chance. I think growing up, you know, and also working in the industry, I had my share of, I guess, you know, being some someone that I wasn't really proud of. And it's something that, that was brought up by my senior manager before. And uh, I was lucky enough that he actually gave me a, a second chance to, to really improve myself and the way I, the way I do things, the way I communicate to other people. And, I believe that anyone should be given a second chance and that really, really changed me, you know, so um, I'm glad for that, grateful. I also believe that, you know, influencing or leading with kindness and generosity would, would actually take you a lot further than, um, you know, leading with force or, uh, or leading with, you know, like fear. So, um, you know, that's something that I really try to practice on a daily basis. And um, I, I just believe that, you know, like everyone should be kind, more kind and, and nicer to each other. And, you know, the world will be a better place. And, um, you know, the third belief is probably something to do with design. And um, it's design is something that I really loved and um, that's really made. It's given me purpose in terms of um, going about my life. And I think design, when used correctly, I think it really can make the world a better place so um i'm more talking about like design in a more genuine sense you know like design for for the better you know we're not really trying to design something that already exists before or something that that just looks different or we're really trying to design something that adds value to to people's lives and i think if i can keep doing that for the rest of my life i'll be happy Fantastic. Well, let's um, talk a little bit about Orbit Key and the evolution of that business and how you took your interest in design and seeing a problem and designing a solution about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of Orbit Key? Orbit Key basically just started as a side project and it wasn't really a project to begin with. It was um, purely something that I created to solve my own problem. So um, the story actually started it was, it was 2012 and um, I was working as a full-time designer back then. And I remember that I was training for a half marathon run. And obviously, you know, when you train for that, you would run a lot throughout the week. And I just remember that 
every single morning that I trained, I had to actually take out my key from my keyring because putting the keyring in my pocket would actually jingle and it would just annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> First of all, because I don't really want to be running around being stared at because of that noise. <laughs> and also because I just have this, this OCD and I just really don't like anything that makes noise, any little noise that annoys me just, you know, takes the focus off what I'm doing. So um, basically, you know, after doing that for a while, after taking out a key, after keying a few times, you know, I just, I just became frustrated and I just go, well, what do I have to do this every single time I go for a run? And I just asked myself a question, you know, what can I do with the skill that I have to solve this problem of my own? And uh, it was just a natural thing that I, I went to the workshop at work <laughs> and I just trying to find, you know, like a screw and a nut. And I thought, you know, if I clamped all my keys together, it's probably going to stop it from hitting each other and jingling. And that was really the start of all the key, you know. Um, and I was using that for around nine months, I believe, until I met my um, high school friend back then. I'm talking about Rex here. So Rex, my business partner, we were high school friends. But um, we were hanging out a little bit back then. And Rex was also working full-time, but in a very different profession. So he was actually a full-time pharmacist. But we just got along because we had common interests in, um, you know, we would just go out and play pool or have dinner. But, you know, one day I just showed him the prototype that I was using for a while and he got really excited about the idea. So um, he said, wow, that's, that's really cool, you know. And... Um, he basically said to me, oh, I actually had another thing that I really wanted to solve, you know, because with my key ring, you know, it always scratches everything in my pocket and it would scratch my phone and my wallet. You know, he actually just got a new wallet from, from his partner back then and he really didn't want to damage it. So um, he just said to me, you know, this key scratching everything in your pocket, it would actually be a good problem to solve as well, you know. Um, so that got us collaborating and we were collaborating for nine months and after nine months we actually have refined this really rough looking um, really crude prototype that I was using but it solved my problem you know but it just didn't look like something that anyone else would use <laughs> but we actually had brought this um, really simple prototype to a stage where it was actually something that we could potentially sell but the challenge that we had was that we really didn't know how to sell things because I was a designer and Rex was a pharmacist, but we heard something about crowdfunding, which is um, a Kickstarter. It was becoming really popular back then for any anyone who had an idea but really didn't know how to launch it or didn't have any funding to launch the idea. So we, we just basically did a lot of research into Kickstarter and um, a few months later, we launched our first campaign. So that was and, the birth of the idea. <laughs> yeah, and the campaign was extraordinarily successful. You reached your target really easily and shot it out of the park by a mile. So what <laughs> what made your Kickstarter campaign so successful? Well, it might actually look easy, but um, but trust me, there was definitely a lot of late nights and hard work into putting the campaign together and also creating a campaign page with with videos and also all the promotional images. So um, I think Kickstarter is a very, very interesting platform. And a lot of the people that support Kickstarter projects, they're not really your general 
consumers, you know, who would just go in there and buy and expect a return straight away. So these are actually things that we found through doing research. So first of all, what we did was we supported a few projects on Kickstarter and we really tried to find out how it was run and also things that we liked from it and things that we didn't like from it. And we're really trying to put ourselves in that perspective of a, of a supporter, right? So I think that's, that's really important um, when you're trying to create a Kickstarter campaign or anything, you know, you should really try to put yourself in, in the customer's shoes. And that really helped us craft not a perfect campaign, but a campaign that's more likely to succeed because we did a lot of research into successful campaigns and when we sort of trying to gather what, what made it successful. So um, I guess, you know, if you want a few tips from <laughs> running a successful campaign, you know, this, these are basically things that we learned. So first of all, research, as I've said before, like you need to research like there's no tomorrow. Second of all, I believe that, I believe that when we create something that solves a problem, you know, something that actually adds value, uh, something that is different from what's out there in the market, it's sort of like common sense, but you're really trying to understand the, the problem that we're trying to solve and how our product solves it. It will really help uh, make your campaign a little bit more successful. And then if, if we think about it more as well, you know, like when we're trying to create a campaign, we're actually asking someone to invest in our project. So um, I see a lot of importance in communicating a project clearly and effectively you know, we all have such a short attention span nowadays. You know, how do you make people actually go to your campaign page and really understand what you're trying to do? And how do you make them want to support you? So communicating your project clearly is important. So by creating a great video that really explains your product that you're offering, but also it explains the, the purpose of your campaign, you know, like what, what is it that your company is about? You know, people talk a lot about the why, you know, so we, you really need to know why we're doing this. Why are we on the on Kickstarter in the first place? You know, like just telling that to the backers or to the supporters will really help them kind of buy into the project. I think communicating a project also involves you trying to convince people that you can actually deliver the promise, you know, Kickstarter is becoming more and more of a marketplace now where anyone would just jump in there and go, oh, I want to make a quick buck and put up a project and not deliver in the end. You know, like um, a, lot of, a lot of supporters are actually not really getting the experience that they should be from Kickstarter, you know. Um, so what we really need to communicate as well from our campaigns is that we can deliver and now that we've done a few campaigns, you know, we always show how we've delivered in the past as well. So that also increased the chance of, of success, I believe. Um, I think really just trying to exceed the expectation, you know. Um, I think this is just like any businesses. So if you're trying to deliver something that people didn't expect, you know, because they just expected something that came from another Kickstarter campaign where a reward would come in a, a really plain plastic bag because that's just the easy easy way to pack your product right but um because we're also here for the long term we're trying to create a brand experience so right now you know our focus is yes we've run a few campaigns but how can we make those campaigns even better and better 
Um, how do we make sure that when people receive our products, they actually feel like it's something that was worth investing in? So um, other than that, I think the key to a successful project is it's all in the marketing. You know, you can have the greatest product out there, but if you don't market it correctly, no one's really going to hear about it. So, um, you know, I'm not really the person to tell you anything about marketing, but, but you know, things that we've done in the past is just a lot of preparation and making sure that we allow enough time for us to promote the project before it even launch. So um, four weeks before the project, we start telling everybody about it so that when it launches, we have at least a few people or, you know, uh, we have a, a good number of people on board and they would back the project earlier on and that will also increase the chance of success because when kickstarter actually um, notices that your project is getting a lot of traffic they usually promote it in the trending section so promoting your project early and also consistently throughout the project is very very important how did you start the very first time with your first campaign when you didn't already have an audience? How did you get the word out? Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting. You know, like uh, we were quite lucky to have a group of family and friends that believed in the idea or whether they believe in the idea or they just basically support you because you are, <laughs> you're a family or you're a friend of them. So we were quite lucky to have a really good group of family and friends who supported us earlier on. And there was also, uh, I guess, you know, luck factor in there. You know, like it, we were quite lucky that Kickstarter notices that uh, we had a lot of backing from day one and they actually promoted us on their homepage. And that really, that really got the, the project more and more traffic from Kickstarter because they see it on the front page. And also, you know, just a lot of um, hard, you know, like a lot of late nights replying to customers' inquiries, you know. Actually, that's one thing that, that is also key, you know, like um, because our customers are people who invest in the product without, you know, they don't get the guarantee that they will get the product in the end. So um, we make sure that we treat them like king, you know. We, we need to make sure that they get the information they need as soon as possible. And we'll make sure they're really well informed. So even when there's delay, we'll make sure that we communicate the delays, the why there was a delay and how we're going to fix this problem and when they should be expecting to get their reward. So um, I think communication also really helps in creating a um, great campaign. So did you just start with an email list, like just sending an email to everybody that you knew and posting it on your personal Facebook pages that this is what you were doing and asking for support? Definitely. Yep. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of um, shameless <laughs> self-promotion on your personal Facebook page, you know, and um, we had an Orbiki Facebook page, but there was only a hundred followers back then. But we definitely relied on the support of our family and friend circle. And I guess earlier on as well, like another thing that you can do is to really ask for advice from a lot of the other Kickstarter creators. I find that, you know, when you ask for advice and when they are a little bit more invested in your project because they, they feel like they have a contribution to the success of your project, you know, that's that's when they're more likely to actually be generous enough to, to support your cause and 
hopefully, you know, other project creators will promote it on their page as well, on their um, social media. So definitely, you know, like get out there and really try to reach out to more and more people, no matter what it takes, because, you know, like especially now where Kickstarter is getting more and more crowded, I think you need to do even more marketing and you need to spend even more time and money in marketing. So um, we were quite lucky back then, I guess, you know, that's why I said there was a bit of a luck factor in there. I think we were quite lucky to, to be identified as, as a popular project by Kickstarter and being put on the homepage and yeah. Well, Charles, I think that it was a bit more than luck. I think you're being a good bit modest there because I saw the quality of the campaign that you put up um, and the quality of the videos that you made and, and the communication that you put together to make sure that it was very clear and exciting about what you were doing. But also too, one of those things that you mentioned was that you already had a page on Facebook with 100 people following it before you launched. So, you were already cultivating an audience and getting people excited about what was coming rather than waiting until you had it all worked out. And, you know, so you actually had an audience to launch the campaign to rather than just waiting, which I think is a really important thing to consider when people are at very early days in their businesses about not waiting. You can start talking about what you're doing and bringing your project to life and bringing people along with you for the ride so that when you do have something exciting to say and launch, you've already got an audience to tell them about it. Well, that's, you know, like that's actually the summary of what I was trying to say, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to say there are other crowdfunding platforms around. So Kickstarter is probably the biggest globally and the most well-known, but there are other even more local homegrown platforms now that people could also consider. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have a local crowdfunding platform here in Australia called Possible. So these are actually started by... Um, some guys in Collingwood actually but you know like there's also Indiegogo which is an international platform as well and you know to be honest like I don't really know a lot of the difference now I think as long as you have the good marketing and good product I think whichever platform you choose in the end you know it's not really going to matter that much a lot of people now also do Kickstarter campaign to start with and also they move to Indiegogo later on because Indiegogo actually has um, a pre-order function, uh, a pre-order platform where you can put your product up there once your campaign is finished and people can still continue to pre-order. But of course, at a you know, it's not exactly the same as a crowdfunding because the crowdfunding platform Kickstarter or whichever crowdfunding platform you choose, it should offer more benefit than say pre-ordering because pre-ordering, there's less risk in terms of investment, your investment. So... I guess what I want to say is that, you know, you need to treat your early supporters like um, you need to give them reason to back you earlier on. For example, because on crowdfunding, you know, you don't get the product straight away. We usually give uh, some sort of level of discount to the product that we're offering. Um, so if, you, if that is the reason why they should back you as well as, you know, like because they believe in your product, if the discount is a, a selling point of your crowdfunding campaign, then maybe you shouldn't dis discount as much on a pre-order platform, you know? Um, so basically what you're trying to do is to give people more reason to, to back you or to support you earlier on. And yeah, don't lose the trust of your supporters basically, because a lot of campaigns as well um, nowadays is that people who back them early, who support them early on Kickstarter, haven't even received the product, but then 
the creators already sold it to and consumed it somewhere else, you know, because of an opportunity they didn't want to miss or they, they start selling to a big department store or giant because they want to actually get the deal from, from these department stores, for example. You know, like um, these sort of things are the things that a lot of Kickstarter supporters would be concerned about because they support you earlier on. They should really get the product first before anyone else. This episode of In The Company is brought to you by Victoria's Small Business Festival happening throughout Victoria during August 2018. The festival offers a wide range of practical, interactive and innovative events that cover topics such as business planning, marketing, social media, networking and financial management. All events are either low cost or free and are designed to help small business owners improve their productivity and business nows while engaging with other like-minded businesses and industry experts. For more information, visit festival.business.vic.gov.au. I'm curious about what have been some of the biggest hurdles you faced in after having a massive campaign that was hugely successful to then actually delivering to that. What have been some of the biggest hurdles that you've experienced in getting the business up and going? Oh, well, I mean, running the campaign itself, it was a huge effort for me and Rex, you know, especially back then we were still working full time in our own professions. So basically we quickly realized that running a campaign is not an easy task. And halfway through the campaign, knowing that it was going quite well, I actually handed in my resignation letter to my employer. <laughs> and it was not really a, um, a move that was easy to to make for me because I enjoyed what I was doing as a designer, but it was almost like a, I I had to do this, you know, I have to do this because if I don't do this, I will never be able to to deliver something that I promised to all the backers because originally we expected the campaign to be going, you know, okay. You know, we weren't even sure if it was going to hit the target, but um, we, we sort of thought if it was to hit, the target, maybe we'll get 500 people that ordered the hearing or the, the orbit key. And maybe we can do this as a part-time sort of gig outside of our full-time job. But, um, but yeah, we quickly realized that it was going to be bigger than what we expected. And it was a move that I had to make. So um, basically right after the campaign, we ended up having to deliver to 5,000 supporters instead of, you know, the 500 that we expected. (laughs) And basically the journey from the end of the campaign to delivery was a journey that I would never forget because I spent most of my time basically in, in China where our manufacturing partners were and just spending night and day trying to make sense of things, trying to bring a product from an idea to a mass manufactured thing. I mean, it was quite... I was quite lucky to have a bit of a knowledge in that, in design, industrial design and mass manufacturing. But, you know, being a graduate, you know, I was actually a graduate. I was probably working for three years back then in my job as a designer. I didn't really have the experience yet to bring something to the end consumer. You know, most of the work that I was doing back then was just designing and assisting in in designing projects and products. And um, the mass manufacturing was a key that was missing from my experience. So that was something that I really had to learn really quickly alongside my business partner. 
So um, we we spent a bit of ch- time in China. You know, um, it was quite tough. <laughs> it was such a different working environment, and um, everything was new. It was very very exciting, but at the same time very tiring. So after t- spending three months in China, we ended up delivering our products right on time, which is something that we're really proud of achieving because a lot of other projects didn't really deliver on time. So we made sure that we were there so that it was done properly and it was done on time. So it was quite challenging. So that was, I guess, you know, between the end of the project to delivery of the goods to our supporters. But right after that, we really had to learn quickly how to continue the momentum, you know. Um, so we had to create our own website on, you know, Wix.com, which was um, <laughs> it was quite simple and modest. But um, we really didn't know how to actually go about anything. We had to learn everything from from scratch, you know. So um, I found that quite challenging as well. But it was it was quite a steep learning curve and. I think it required a lot of hard work and it's, you know, I wouldn't complain because I wouldn't have done it any other way. You know, I was, I'm quite grateful of what we could do with the skills and with the um, knowledge that we had. Yeah. And so spending three months in China to bring the product to life, was that something that was on the roadmap for you before you actually launched the Kickstarter campaign? No, definitely not. You know, um, you know, the plan was that we were going to spend a week in China, trying to sort out everything, you know, meet all the manufacturers that we've previously contacted, just trying to, I guess, filter them out, trying to find the best one out of the ones that we picked. But we quickly found that it was quite a naive way of looking at things. You know, we we thought that everything was going to sort itself out, but really it was quite the opposite. But by being there, you know, by being able to be on the ground and sorting out all the manufacturing issues, it was really quite helpful and it had to be done because quality was something that we really, really care about. And up till now, you know, like it's, it's something that we really want to maintain, you know, a high quality product that really works. So because of that, you know, we really couldn't just let go of, of the project and get getting the manufacturers to do everything. Because also, you know, it was quite a new way of doing things and making things that we had to sort out all the little details you know it's quite a simple it it looks like a simple product but there's actually a lot of little details that was quite challenging to achieve so did you end up changing suppliers based on your research when you were on the ground oh yes so um the approach that we had was we picked a few suppliers and these suppliers are the suppliers that we found from alibaba or you know, some other websites that we, um, or recommendations from a lot of other um, people that we know. But we really had to make sure that they can deliver. So um, what we plan to do in that one week is just to meet all the manufacturers and really pick one that we're going to work with and go with that. So um, that was the approach that we had. And we basically ended up with probably a group of four to five different manufacturers that we work with based on the materials that we chose and also based on the manufacturing process as well because you know each factory can just you know we we found factories that can do really great stuff in one manufacturing process but not another so we it requires a lot of coordination between suppliers and making sure that the end product was something that we could deliver and something that was of high quality 
Yeah, and so you can't really know that until you've got your feet on the ground and you're engaging with the people that are actually doing the work and putting their name to what you're producing in the end. So from one week to three months, that would have been quite a, an extended trip that you didn't see coming. When you got back uh, to Australia, how did you then go about working out what was next? Well, first of all, I got my coffee, which is good. You know, like coffee culture in China wasn't really the scratch back then, you know. Um, and coming from Melbourne, you know, where you can just go around the corner and get a coffee. So that was definitely the first thing that I did. <laughs> but going about how to actually go about our business, it's not a straightforward process. You know, we first of all, we set up our, our website so that we can continue selling the product. But there was definitely a lot of different things that was in our mind. You know, how do we keep marketing our product? And how do we, how do we make sure that people see it? You know, how do we make sure that this momentum is not just going to die down and we end up with, no customers talking about the product at all. Um, so I think one one thing that really made the difference that we did was, first of all, we signed up to a trade show. So um, we thought about how do we get our products into shops so that, um, you know, if anyone was browsing for another thing, they are more likely to see our product um, on display. Um, so that was a lot of hard work as well, you know, um, First of all, we were trying to do research on how to get into shops. And before we signed up for the trade show, we actually had got into a couple of stores that we personally visited and just went in there and basically like a walk-in salesman just going, hey, I have this product idea. Um, you know, we, we raised this much money on Kickstarter. There was a lot of happy customers. Are you willing to take us on board, you know, are you willing to put our product on display? So there were some successes and some of our best stores, you know, some of, our, some of the best performing stores, even up till today is actually, they are the very first few stores that we signed up by walking in and really talking to the owners and so that they really understood what we're about and they really understand what the product actually does and how it functions. So um, there was quite a lucky strike for us, you know, like um, just to find those really great stores that we could be in. But yeah, definitely like um, we, we went down the wholesale sort of route. Um, we were doing some, also some design markets, you know, um, we, we try to actually attend design markets where we can be there to explain the product to the end customers. And these sort of things actually work really well for us in the end. So yeah, I think our, <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of the effort was not really in the design and manufacturing anymore. You know, once we came back from China and once we delivered the goods to Kickstarter backers, most of the things that we were doing are were mainly marketing and also how to sell the product. So I can see from your Instagram account and also from the website that you've grown the team substantially. It's not just you and Rex on the ground doing this anymore. And you seem to have developed a really great culture. How's the process been of growing the business and bringing other people on board? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I think it was me and Rex for the first two years. So, um, so really the company grew from two to six people to ten to now 15 people, I think it really grew in the last two years. And the very first few hires were actually through, you know, just a lot of mutual connections. So um, 
the very first hire that we had was an industrial design intern. And um, I actually went to RMIT to actually visit the exhibition, the end of semester exhibition. And I just, I was just, you know, like looking for someone that could potentially be a, an intern in our company. And so I went about it that way. And coming from RMIT as well, you know, was an easier process for me because then the, the lecturer knew me and also the lecturer would actually go, hey, you know, this person could be a good fit for what you're looking for. So the very first hire was actually uh, an intern. The second hire was actually through another friend of mine that runs. She was actually a um, an agent, you know, in a way that she connects. She's like a recruitment agent. And we actually found our very first sales rep, more like an, an account manager through that. We found that worked really well for us. And we tried to actually keep that going by reaching out within our circle of network. So before you know it, you know, like um, after contacting all our followers and also our email subscribers, just going, hey, we're actually looking for someone, you know, one of our staff members actually came from that as well. And um, a lot of, you know, talking to people, do you know anyone? And, you know, like before you know it, we grew to a team of 15 and it's it's been an amazing journey. And looking at the culture, you know, like it's really humbling to hear that you, you said that um, we actually have created a great culture. I think I think that that's very true, and I'm really happy with the people that we have on board. You know, they're they're just amazing people. Yeah. So you've just moved into a new office, I think, recently. You've grown and continuing to grow. What's next on the horizon for Orbit Key? Well, I think you know we. We just recently did a retreat, actually. So um, we did a company retreat where, you know, 15 of us actually went to the beach and we spent four days just discussing about our future plans. And I guess that was also one of the rewarding moments where you can actually see everyone interacting with each other outside of work and how everyone just got along and everyone put some work into working in a team, you know, like we were just cooking together, we were packing up together and it was such a nice thing to experience. But talking about the future plans, um, we actually are trying to turn our brand into something more than a key organizer brand, if you know what I mean. You know, like um, so far, if you talk to anyone about Orbikey, they would think about this one product. But really what we want to create is more than that. You know, what we want to create is a brand that really inspires people, that really inspires other brands also to do great things. And basically what we had to do was we had to ask the question of what we truly care about. So um, after asking ourselves for um, a lot of whys and a lot of questions, you know, we basically came to a conclusion that, yes, we have a key organizer that helps you organize your keys, but really what we truly believe is that when life is organized, it's just way easier and it's better, you know, um, so, you know, it sort of got us in a really interesting conversation where we imagine what would it be like for Orbiki in 25 years or in 10 years or five years, you know. So um, the focus right now for us, for the brand, is to turn our brand into something more than a product, is to turn our brand into something that inspires people to be more organized. And we happen to design things that helps them do that. So that, that is the focus for us, the next step. Absolutely. We all need help getting more organised. There's absolutely no doubt about that. 
particularly as we become a lot more mobile in the way that we live and the way that we work and we can, you know, have our lives in multiple different places <laughs> all at once. You know, places now, not somewhere that's really locked down to a one location. We can find ourselves in yeah, all sorts yeah. of places doing all different sorts of things. So all need help organising with that. What advice would you have for somebody who was starting their own business? I guess reaching out to people is very important for us. I think um, the very first time that we decided to go with Kickstarter, I think the very first thing that we did was, as I said before, you know, we did a lot of research, but we also contacted a lot of um, project creators who has done it before and really asked them about what worked well and what didn't work well. And and that happens even now when we're a team of 15, you know, we're still a small team and there's a lot of other business owners and also people who, who are involved in bigger businesses that we can actually learn from. So I think always, always be curious and always be hungry that you would actually go out there and ask people questions and ask people for advice so that you don't actually have to repeat the same mistakes they've done. You know, um, how do you avoid mistakes that you can easily avoid if you had that knowledge? So, um, so first of all, trying to reach out to people and, um, always trying to create something with value and it again it seems like a common sense you know but we what we're really trying to focus on is think about the end user whatever we do how does this add value to our end user and why would anyone actually care about this product so much that they would invest their money in it so um, we really try to focus more on the benefits of our product and market it that way also trying to exceed expectations in everything you do. So I think there's a lot of other businesses that does this better than us, but um, we're continually trying to exceed expectations of our customers in a way that they, when they receive our product, you know, it exceeds the expectation that they had buying the product. And also, you know, in everything that we do in trade show, for example, you know, we, we always try to do something that exceeds the expectation of our customers. So, we offer refreshments at trade shows, you know, like, um, you know, people are tired, people are, you know, just there to buy stuff, but they're tired and they just, they still have a lot more stalls to visit. So we try to actually offer something more than just selling the product, you know. So I think a little bit of thoughtfulness really goes a long way. And I think, yeah, just really trying to be generous as well. You know, as a business, I think it's it's important for us to be generous to other businesses as well. And that's really something that create the culture that helped us in the beginning anyway. So always important to give back. So anytime that you can offer advice to another business that, that is going about to do something that you've done before, trying to be open about it and trying to offer the best advice you can offer to them. Fantastic. Charles, we're going to start wrapping up the conversation. Where can people find out more about what you have created? Um, you can go to our website, so um, www.orbitkey.com, O-R-B-I-T-K-E-Y.com. And um, you can also um, follow us on, on social media. So we're on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. So feel free to follow us and see what, we're, what we come up with next. <laughs> That's right. And get an Orbit key so you can get your keys more organized and not jiggling around in your pocket as you go for a run or scratching your wallet or just 
being feeling good. Like it actually feels good when you get your keys sort of sitting in a nice little pouch rather than kind of all hangling all over the place. I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with next. So I have 10 questions to finish off. Are you ready to go? We have 10 seconds to answer each of these 10 questions. All right, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Do your best. (laughs) All right. Number one, what I like about myself is? I get along with people fairly well. I beat procrastination by? I'm not sure if I'm actually very good at beating procrastination. (laughs) I actually perform really well last minute, so um, I'm not not sure how to answer that. (laughs) So maybe a bit of positive deadline pressure. (laughs) Exactly. Positive deadline, you know, moving your clock forward. There you go. (laughs) A song on my life soundtrack is? Maybe something that I aspire to do is, you know, like maybe it's, uh, it's my life. Bon Jovi, you know, like about living in the moment. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The world needs more. I think the world needs more great products that generally helps add value in someone's lives and something that lasts. So um, less of the um, so-so products, but more great products. A phrase I live by is? Never forget where you come from and stay humble. Something that everyone must do is? I think we should all keep pushing ourselves forward but stop focusing entirely on things that didn't work or that didn't go well in the first place or really trying to reflect on things that went well instead and concentrate on that. A book that changed me is? How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Ah, that good old classic. Everyone needs to have that on their bookshelf. Fear and I... We don't get along. (laughs) You know, it's like those friends that you don't get along with but you can't get rid of. But every now and again, you know, you just have to confront them face-to-face because, you know, I just don't really like that feeling of being scared. Something that always makes me feel good is... Five-second cold shower at the end of the shower each morning. It always makes me feel more awake. I think everyone should give that a try. <laughs> I don't know that you can convince me of that one. <laughs> no, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. It's the hardest thing, but it always makes you feel good in the end. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'll try. Maybe I will give it a try. And the number, <laughs> number 10, my legacy will be? Leaving the world a better place. Maybe a more organised place, you know, it goes along with the mission of our company. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Charles, and sharing with us your journey of conquering the crowdfunding world and getting us more organised. We can definitely use with more of your wisdom and expertise in this area. So thank you so much and all the best for Orbit Key going forward. Well, thanks, Carla. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. And if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for our review on iTunes. 